Welcome into the Nebraska 247 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts and Brian Christofferson. It is Wednesday. We're looking out our windows. The air quality looks pretty good here in Lincoln. Uh, we can't say anything about Eugene just yet, but uh, I guess we'll find out later in the week. Uh, seems like this game should happen. Guys, do you have any, any hot takes on, on air quality control in Oregon at the moment? They're playing this game. I mean, there's, there's no way they're not playing this game. What would they say? They're, if they would announce Saturday morning, you know, the Pac-12 would make some announcement if they couldn't play it. That tells me that's just a last second. Like, we'll save our butts if, if it's really a difficult situation. But it's happening. I feel like you were you were right earlier, though, that we missed out on an opportunity to bring in an air quality expert yeah, to really break this down on the podcast. I feel like that was an opportunity missed. I think we could have really elevated ourselves as not just three guys sitting around a kitchen table talking about football, but really, you know, teaching people about what goes into the air and why it can sometimes be dangerous for you. We can kind of like the Charlie Rose coverage of Husker football. Just put like water glasses by each person. Do you guys have any good air quality stories? <laughs> uh no. You have good stories about your dog being catfished online, but maybe you don't want to get yeah, into that. Yeah, whatever happened with that? <laughs> I mean, the guy, uh, just to, to fill people in who maybe don't follow me on Twitter, and you absolutely should. I mean, it's just a riot following at Mike J. Schaefer. But uh, I posted a, a photo of my dog on Saturday uh, holding a plush football. It was and basically, Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, with, you know, just throwing it out there that it's football season and uh later on in the evening as nebraska is holding on for dear life against arkansas state received a message from a friend letting me know that my dog had become uh stolen online or at least uh, the image I, I should say was was taken by somebody who lived in lafayette louisiana was sent to barstool sports uh with a caption that his dog which looks suspiciously like my dog and looks suspiciously like the fireplace at my house, uh, was excited for the LSU game that evening against BYU. So, uh, turns out it was the same photo. The The guy never responded despite multiple people asking him, you know, why, why are you <laughs> pretending to have a dog on the internet using this guy's photo? But, well, we'll never get to the bottom of it. I was, I was a little disappointed that Barstool Sports didn't uh, research it. It seems like the kind of story that they would love to tell. I feel like Deadspin would have probably gone about 1,500 words on breaking down the, the catfishing of your, uh, your dog. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, if there's if there's one sports media entity that is all in on researching the potential of catfishing in college football, it would be Deadspin. Yeah. Uh, I saw that he did take the tweet down. Like, it disappeared. Yeah, I assume that he just... Deleted it for the shame that it had brought upon him and, I assume, Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah. Well, he had it coming, so. But Slider is uh, safe and sound as far as I know. Um, you know, I, I don't think he knew how harrowing things were for him online. But, anyways, that was all taking place while Nebraska was playing Arkansas State this weekend. Take away! And, uh, thank you for that. Uh, it's been a while. It has been. People have mentioned yeah. online. Continue. <laughs> I don't know if you they, wanted to. No, no, no. You're explain fine. Explain why you've been absent in your segues for the last couple weeks. Uh, discretion is the uh, better part of valor and segues, mm-hmm. I think. 
Fair. Bob Miyako quote. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Nebraska played a football game this weekend for the first time since uh, really getting their butts kicked in Tennessee in December. Or no, January? Was it New Year's Day? No, it was December. I can't remember. Who? The bowl the game. City. It was like December 30th. It was, yeah, okay. it was December. Yeah. Pay attention, bro. Sorry. We're, we're trying to have a conversation. Would Sorry. you like to be involved? Uh, I'll, I'll focus in. Thank Sorry. you. Nebraska playing for the first time since the Music City Bowl, which we've now confirmed was in December. Uh, looked good early, struggled late. Let's just jump right into it. I mean, what were maybe uh, some of your initial takeaways from this first game? <clears throat> uh, start with the good. I mean, I, I thought Tanner Lee, um, I guess you could say lived up to the hype. I, I mean, you would expect that a guy playing in his first game in 650 days or whatever it was is going to have some nerves and um, some cobwebs. And I think you saw that on the first series. It was obviously a guy who was kind of adjusting to playing again and I think needed to take a hit or two. But he really locked in after that. And, you know, the throw to Stanley Morgan was a beauty, the, the, the touchdown. But there were a few others sprinkled in throughout that game where you're like, okay, that's big-time arm talent. Um, his only issue, I wonder if, if it could cost him down the road, is he has such good arm talent and trusts it so much that sometimes he does try to fit passes in where – you're like, ooh, that was that could have been picked. Like the one early in the game, Tyler Hoppus almost caught a touchdown, so it was almost a brilliant throw, and it was almost also picked off all in one. So that and you saw a lot of that. Yeah, I almost think as great as that touchdown pass was to Stanley Morgan, the throw that I thought was just terrific was the one to J.D. Spielman that yeah. picked up the first down on a, I want to say it was like a 25-yard slot fade route. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a beautiful inseam throw that really, it's harder than it looks. I mean, to be able to time that and put it exactly where Spielman was going to be, and it wasn't like Spielman was wide open. He had to drop that in over a defender at kind of a tough angle. I mean, that was just a terrific throw that I think set up a rushing touchdown, I want to say, from Mikhail Wilbon, uh, if I have the, the, yeah, sequencing, I think you're right. the sequencing of all of this correct. But it was just a an awesome throw and, and like I said I mean the, the one to Stanley Morgan was the one that got everybody like oh wow you know the reports on this wasn't just typical building the guy up he can really sling it and then that throw to Spielman just showed tremendous touch uh, a couple other thoughts I had from that game I mean just sticking on the with offensive players for right now because I'm sure we'll spend a decent amount of time going over what happened with the defense uh, Tyler Hoppus had a terrific catch uh, which, again, showed off. I mean, a lot of people were writing about him, talking about him in, in the fall. And I know that, at least from my own experience as a sports fan with the Indians and the Vikings, I tend to be fairly skeptical until I actually see it happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see with Tyler Hoppus that he can be a pretty dynamic playmaker as a tight end. And then J.D. Spielman. I mean, talk about an introduction to a fan base. It's just an awesome moment. Right when Nebraska needed it most. I mean, right after that punt return took the air out of the stadium, he comes back, first touch, weaves through a little bit of traffic, gets on the other side of the 50, points to the, the student section Stops for the pointing. crowd, and then finishes it off with uh, you know first career touch, first career touchdown, first kick return for a touchdown in four years for Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, just a, a really, really cool moment. I... I... Probably the, the thing that stood out to me most was the run game. I mean, Tanner Lee had a great game, don't get me wrong, but you know, Trey Bryant 
kind of came out and ended any conversation that we had about uh, by committee approach. <laughs> um, you know, 31 carries, 192 yards, uh, touchdown. I the, the one thing that he kind of lacked was that breakaway speed. Um, but in thinking back, I remember when Amir Abdullah was early in his career, that was something that he really worked hard to develop too. So maybe that comes along. But uh, I thought he ran with great vision. I thought that he ran hard. Uh, I mean, there was that one run where he seemed to truck stick about four or five guys uh, for a pretty large gain. Um, so that's good to see. I mean, we'll see if he plays, how much he plays this week, if it's that much with the swollen knee. But I, I thought he played well. I thought the offensive line, um, you know, showed a little bit too. I mean, I, I don't remember Nebraska's offensive line pulling guards at all last year, hardly at all. Yeah, Kavanaugh talked about that. So they weren't nearly athletic enough to do it the previous two years. Yeah, and it, there were times when it maybe didn't look great on, on Saturday, but I thought that, you know, on some of those longer runs, you had, you know, Tanner Farmer, uh, Gerald Foster getting around and, uh, you know, clearing some guys out. So that was good to see, too, because without having a, the quarterback run game, you're going to have to rely on those guys to pull a little bit more and uh, be athletic. So. Um, you know, kind of having that, I guess, in the playbook is going to be a good sign for them, I think. It was a small sampling, but I liked that there were th- there were two th- third and twos, and Nebraska just lined up and ran the football. They didn't try to get cute. It was Trey Bryan off the left one time, Trey Bryan off the right. He got four on one, seven on another. It wasn't like he had to fight to get the first down. And I know it's Arkansas State, but this is an old line. When I think about it the last five, ten, maybe even 15 years, you haven't always trusted Nebraska on third and one or third and two that they could just say, hey, we're going to run the ball at you and we're going to get a first down. So it was encouraging to at least see that opening week. And that's a defensive front that I think led the yeah, Sun Belt and was in the top half of the nation in tackles mm-hmm. for a loss. So it's not like it's uh, it returned a lot of those guys. So I, I think it was a really nice day, honestly, for the offensive line that maybe gets lost because of what the name is on the right. front of the jersey instead of the talent that was being represented. Now, on the flip side, it, you know, that at the end of the game, and Danny Langsdorf was disappointed. He didn't hide it. You know, you would have liked to see the offense finish that thing. You know, if they put their foot down on the throat on that last drive, they had it second and medium, you know, and they, they throw in that third and, what, four or five, and, and just a breakdown on pass protection, as Langsdorf talked about. You have five blockers, three guys are rushing, they let him get to Lee, throws incomplete, and then all heck breaks loose. You know, Arkansas State scores. Yeah, you can, say, yeah, you can say helps. Okay, I didn't know. Well, I, I, did you sense the hesitation? Yeah. There was like a heck. Your previous employers <laughs> might have been, you know, can't say that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I, I like to just be a whole – I'm going to be the wholesome guy on this broadcast. <laughs> I'll let you guys just be the – What do you imply? <laughs> <laughs> just let you guys be out there. But, you know, you would have liked to see Nebraska on that drive take that game and make it 50 and 50 to 29 and then you know that the game is completely slanted and now we're talking about it if that happens but um and the only other thing i'd say on offense is trey bryant i i think it's a fair question people are asking like this guy's had some knee issues why run him 31 times you know opening week when you know mikhail looked pretty good running the ball you know that's that's fair stuff to ask i think yeah, and I mean, we'll see if there's any holdover from that with that Oregon game because if he's not ready to go, that hurts your offense a little bit based on what he was able to do against what, again, I think is a better defense, at least in the front seven, than what Nebraska's going to face out 
in Eugene. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely different circumstance being at home, the friendly environment when you're on offense versus what awaits them out there. But it it's certainly going to make things interesting. All right, we've stalled long enough. Brunts will lead off with you. You get the next uh, however many minutes you want to just talk utter crap on what you saw for the defense last night. If I, you want. I saw I saw everything go to plan. Um, I mean, it, it's. Did you just put on your assistant coach hat. Or? I, I did. I, I'm I'm following along. I, I think here's what I saw that was good. I saw guys like Luke Gifford who are playing for the first time, and Gifford played 89 snaps in that game, um, which is kind of crazy to me that this guy that was kind of an afterthought is now, you know, not only playing and not only starting, but basically playing every defensive snap that you have. Played four different positions. Yeah. Um, I thought he played really well. I thought that for the most part, the defensive line did what it was asked. Um, You know, they two-gapped well. I thought Nick Stoltenberg was disruptive as he could be. I thought the Davis twins looked as they had in the fall. I thought that safeties played well. Um... The young corners, for the most part, held up their end of the bargain. Um, you know, what Bob Diaco said on Tuesday was that they wanted to... They were fine with giving up yards to keep points down. And when you take out the the kickoff return, or the punt return, the safety, the field goal at the end of the half, which was a little... Yeah, a little the fake the helmet deal is what Bob Diaco called it. Yeah, <laughs> however that that played out, uh, it was you know I, I think it was okay. I mean Arkansas State I, it probably doesn't get the credit that it deserves for the athletes that it had their offensive line was not very good, but their skill position. Yeah, yeah I mean you've got a former four star quarterback, you've got bounce back wide receivers from Oklahoma and other places who could play. Um, so I think you have to take that into account. I'll be curious to see going forward what, especially this weekend, because they're going to see the run-pass option stuff again where the quarterback's going to get rid of it quickly. They're going to have a much more stout run game to deal with than what they did uh, against Arkansas State. And, yes, like Diaco's point is correct. Like, they had the recipe that they wanted, they executed it, and they won. Like, that's what matters. I think at some point, though, I wonder if, the optics of everything are going to start to matter. Like, let's say you go out and beat Oregon, but you give up. It's a 55-52 game or something like that. Is that going to be acceptable to people? We'll see. But I think that, uh, you know, for what what they – as many young guys as they had playing in that game, I, I thought that there, there's some good things that I saw. I think – the thing you worry about this Saturday is, you know, Oregon can do all the stuff on the outside that Arkansas State can do. And then you think about last year's game in Lincoln. You know, Royce Freeman leaves that game early, and he was he was hurting Nebraska. He was denting them pretty good. And then they still really dented Nebraska in the run game. And so I, I think now you're going to see, okay, this defense already had a challenge with the outside pass game, the bubble screen stuff. Now add like an NFL running back to the equation, and that cocktail. And what does it what does it mean for that defense? It's a little scary. Now, I'm not I'm not in that conspiracy crowd that's saying Nebraska was hiding all this stuff. I don't think they were 
were hiding all this stuff. But I don't... I really want to see this game this week and see what adjustments Bob Diaco makes and then kind of pair it with the first game and then kind of bring those two together to make some opinion. Yeah. Like, I, I think I, I think we're only, like, kind of at halftime of this thing, like the early season part. Like, I, I want to see how do they adjust and maybe... He is a sly fox with some stuff that he's like, I'm not going to put this on film. We can get through this game. And I'm not saying that there was a complete idea like this, but there are going to be, I bet, some trinkets that are unveiled in this game. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of, I just kind of yeah. pulled that word out of the air. But um, It's a good word. You can say trinkets on this podcast. I can say trinkets yeah. and hell. Yeah. <laughs> Both those things. Yeah. Just put that down on your notepad there that you're... But the thing I thought also leaving that game Saturday was I don't love how this defense matches up against, like, Oregon. I don't. Um, and I I kind of disappointed because I feel like the defensive line got taken out of the first game in a way. You know, it's like get the balls out so quick. You know, quick throw, some yeah. of those guys that you're excited to see, like the Davis twins and stuff, it's just like you feel like they're not part of it sometimes. And it's not no fault of their own. But I was also thinking as I was driving home, like, this defense, maybe it doesn't match up that great against, like, Oregon. But I, it still might match up pretty well against, like, Wisconsin or Iowa. And those are the games that are ultimately going to determine the fortune of the season. So you kind of got to think about that, too. Yeah, I, I'm very curious how Nebraska defends Royce Freeman with the personnel that they have on the field because they played – and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, and maybe if either of you guys do, but they played 80-plus snaps, 70 of which they were in base personnel with four linebackers. And so, you know, against a team that's spreading you out with four wide receivers or running wide receivers out of the backfield, Arkansas State was more than happy to take advantage of mismatches. And I think Nebraska was more than happy to allow them to because they weren't, aside from a few plays, um, they weren't really able to go vertical. They had mm-hmm. to do everything horizontal and just try to sequence drives together. I mean, Trent Bray and, and Dante Williams talked about that. Bray said a lot of it was that Nebraska wanted them, if they were going to score, they had to put together 12 consecutive plays to do it. In his opinion, offenses don't have a lot of success having to do that consistently throughout a game. Mm-hmm. So, in theory... If that's what they wanted him to do, it did go to plan. So, And, and Dante Williams brought up a, a pretty interesting point in that um, the game was a tremendous learning experience for his guys in particular because you have someone like Lamar Jackson that had only played 100 total plays yeah. in his entire career. He got 82 on, on Saturday, and, and of those 82, 68 were passes. So um, Dante Williams, he was fairly aghast at the idea of going into a game and a team throwing 68 times, particularly when he thought he was joining the, the Big Ten uh, in the offseason. But I, I think that there was such outliers in the way that this first game went. It's hard to have too strong of an opinion on the defense right at this point. It does lead to... I mean, this was a great test for them going against Oregon compared to if they played Fresno State from last year, who really didn't challenge them much at all, and then you're turning around and you're playing Oregon. I, I think that this is a, a better situation for them to be in versus you know just absolutely demolishing some team that didn't challenge them in any phase. Do, do we see any changes personnel-wise on defense 
for this week based upon what Nebraska did last week because I, I, you know as much as they were able to do stuff in practice you you saw some areas where guys are limited in what they're able to do I mean Luke Gifford was playing on both sides of that defense and, and played both fairly well I think um, you, you had defensive you had, end and yeah you had him and Marcus Newby out there together which we really hadn't seen much in fall um, you saw some guys that struggled a bit in coverage quite frankly I mean Alex Davis uh, looked pretty uncomfortable uh, defending that wheel route. Yeah, I guess the slot wide receiver lined up at the running back spot. Yeah, I mean, do we play or, or do we see more? Do we see more nickel? Do we see more dime? Mm-hmm. Because that that's the thing that I, I don't know that Nebraska is going to be able to just go out there and play base defense against Oregon for eighty some plays and uh, expect to have success. That's one of the there. things I wonder. What, it's not a, really a trinket type thing, but I, I would just wonder if Diaco's just going to play a lot more. I picked the worst week to play the trinket drinking game, by the way. Yeah, trinket, trinket. Um, <laughs> can you work this? Can you just have like a column trinket. of BC's trinkets? Just <laughs> after the game, gifts for the the Nebraska I think people. I think that's doable. I think that's completely within reason and probably <laughs> would be of high demand. We can get a really nice, uh, I think, uh, graphic out of this. Maybe uh, even a moving picture. Well, you know, everybody has always, like, kind of sticks with, like, nuggets, kernels, like, to describe, like, little tidbits. I think trinkets could could be part of it. Yeah, because BC's bits doesn't have a good ring to it. (laughs) (laughs) People don't want to go there. (laughs) I mean, I I don't want to... Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah, I, I think... I think it'd be interesting to see if you just see more DBs on the field. And and speaking of those DBs, I was thinking about it. Like if you're Lamar Jackson, you're Eric Lee, Boodle. You know, you, you when you think about playing cornerback, you think about covering guys out there in space and running a route ten or fifteen yards down the field. Their first big game, they're just getting, you know, they're they're getting blocked the whole night. I mean, they're they're basically like a linebacker, a defensive lineman trying to fight through blocks to get to the wide receiver. It's just a different type of game for a cornerback, and you got to deal with it because they're going to see it again. But it's not necessarily what you envision when you think about playing that position, probably. Yeah, it, like I said, and and like the assistant coaches said, it's just a, a different game, a weird game. It gave them a lot of situational stuff. Um, Dante Williams was pleased really with how. His corners were defending in those final few plays for Arkansas State, and so um, even though that receiver got his hands on the ball at the end of that game, I mean, I think that one he was already out of bounds, and two Lamar Jackson was right there, and Lamar had a chance to end the game with an interception. And Dante joked the first thing he said after the game to Lamar was, "The next time you get a chance to catch the ball, catch the ball." Mm-hmm. And so uh, I mean, they they played not great. They didn't play perfect. But for three guys really getting their first real run at this, it was fine. I mean, they have to get better. Eric Lee can't miss that tackle the way that he did uh, in that game that allowed the biggest play for Arkansas State, which essentially was an eight-yard pass with a 31-yard yeah. run afterwards. So well, we, we knew that Chris Jones thing was going to hurt these guys early on, and I think you saw that at times. I mean, it would be nice, like in a game like that, if you have a senior like Chris Jones who just steps through a block and blows up a play, and it kind of it's like this is how it's done, mm-hmm. you know, and you just didn't have that out there, and that's what they're going to have to work through. It would be nice to have JoJo Doman this weekend. I keep thinking mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's a guy that's sort of the the Luke Gifford of the defensive back room, and that you can use him as a safety, you can use him as a dime, you can use him as a nickel. He's big enough that 
he's a little bit more physical of a presence, uh, but he's quick enough that he's going to be able to stay with those wide receivers. I, I really think this is the kind of game where having a guy like JoJo Doman would really help because if you went to three linebackers and you have him playing up, if you're in some sort of modified nickel, uh, he could have really helped. And unfortunately for Nebraska, that's something they'll have to wait until probably 2018 before they'll really know what they have with him. Yeah, I, I could see in this game you're going to probably see a lot of Antonio Reed. Yeah. He's uh, going to be a big player, I think, this week. A, a lot of the – all three of those corners. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting that, that Oregon's essentially kind of forcing Nebraska's hand into playing more of a Pac-12-style game in this game, I think, than what they might be comfortable doing. And at the same time, for all we know, Oregon's game plan could be essentially feed Royce Freeman 45 times. And I, I think he's the second-best player Nebraska plays this year behind Saquon Barkley. I mean, I, I think he's very, very good. And they're going to have to – I mean, they're going to need Mick Stoltenberg in the middle. They're going to need, you know, Dedrick Young and Chris Weber, who I thought looked pretty poor going east to west in coverage in, in a game plan that really maximized, you know, putting those guys in space. They're going to be very valuable on Saturday against Oregon for when they do try to run it up the middle because they need steady tacklers. They need – bodies to fill those gaps uh, and it's going to be a big game for them I'm always interested too with college football and the psychology part of it because I think you see you know how fragile it is sometimes with 18 to 22 year old players and how they go from week to week and it might not matter because one team might just be far better than the other this weekend but I think and Bob Diaco kind of hit on this like it could be a blessing in disguise the kind of game Nebraska had where around here, you know, there's some criticism, and of course the the spread keeps going up, and every and you get all these people on social media like, ah, oh, they can't win. Uh, take that, take the, take that easy money. Oregon's gonna, you know, blow them out of the stadium, and I think that's sometimes good for a team when they're just surrounded by that in the air. You know, it's there's kind of a motivational factor there, and it's easy to get guys' attention when you look at the film, and then you think on the other side. You know, Oregon beat a bad team by a lot of points, but they scored 77. You know those guys are getting patted on the background campus. Um, maybe they can't see each other because of the air quality to, like, make contact with their sh- shoulder or whatever. I don't know. I didn't know that joke was coming. <laughs> but I didn't either. It just kind of came to me. But, uh, yeah, I, I think one team's kind of feeling good about itself. One team's like, oh, we're humbled a little bit. So that's that's not the worst thing for Nebraska. Bruns, I figured out how we can motivate BC with his articles. We just have to start doubting him. Yeah. Anytime he's like, I'm thinking about doing this, you, just, uh, you can't do it. There's no way you're going to You think you done. can write about DeAndre Thomas? Yeah. I doubt it. No, I <laughs> didn't think so. I, I think that's really going to help us out as yeah. we go forward throughout this season. Fuel. I need fuel. Any, uh, any final thoughts? We haven't really got into special teams much. Uh, Caleb Lightborn had a pretty good game. They gave up that punt return for a touchdown that to me, it was probably equal parts maybe kicking it a little bit too far against a good returner, giving him too much space. But there was multiple guys that had an opportunity to get uh, Blaze Taylor, I think. Yeah, well, fumble punts are always tough because yeah. it's like it's a scramble. The, the second that ball hits the ground, yeah. it's like everybody loses their mind, um, forgets their responsibilities. and. Did you lose yours in the press I box? Lost it. I, I, did, did you see me dive behind you just because that's what you did? I didn't. Okay, I, I hit the ground trying to make a play. I had tunnel vision. I was, I was locked in. Um, so I, that, that's kind of a tough. I mean, Blaze Taylor is a, a really good punt return right. too, which is tough. Um, 
you saw two onside kicks in that game. If you're Nebraska, one of them they handled okay. The second one, it was just, I mean, Scott Booker didn't say this, but it was essentially a perfect kick. Oh, it was a very good kick. Um, the one thing I wondered about, though, like you've got your hands team out there, and I was surprised at how short the hands team was. It was like Pearson L. <laughs> I think J.D. Spielman might have been out there. I was out there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you make a play? Well, it was over my head. And he was the guy that got blew up right yeah. at the beginning of that play. So, you know, that I don't know. That, that was the only thing that really surprised me, but it was, it was a perfect bounce. What that, tall members of the, the hands team should have been out there? I mean, Reimers was out there. Reimers, Reimers, we, Reimers, Reimers, Reimers was out Reimers, there. Reimers, but Reimers. He was yeah. a, he was a little late to the party. He, like he, he didn't quite attack the ball. Yeah. So that would have been maybe who I would have thrown out there. I mean, do, do you put tight ends? I mean, do you throw Matt Snyder out there? He's six five. But is he a hands team guy? He, I'll take a little less hands. For I mean, a little bit Luke more Gifford height. probably should be on your hands team. It was a darn good rest Is Tony sometime. Butler supposed to be on your hands team? I mean, he's a little bit bigger. Grandpa? Yeah. I'll put Grandpa out there. Grandpa. Grandpa it it wasn't only a great kick, but the Arkansas State guy who recovered it made a great play. Like, the yeah. ball went over Pearsonell's head, and Reimers was slow to attack it. But if you saw the Arkansas State guy, he almost made like a basketball play where he like batted it to himself before Reimers could get his hand on it. It was, a really, it was really well done. So, I mean, I, I don't fault them too much for that. But, I mean, they, they essentially saw, like, a season's worth of special team scenarios <laughs> in one game. So, you got to think that helps them a little bit. But um, Lightborn was really good. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a big question, I think, was, you know, if he was going to be improved from last year. I thought he hit the Three ball real well. inside the 20, I think. Yeah. A couple that were inside the 10. Uh, yeah, no, I... I think that we had kind of said in a previous podcast that none of us had a whole lot of concern about Caleb Lightborn going into this game. Uh, I are we is it ready for prediction time? Do we want to make predictions? Brunts Brunts looks like he doesn't want to have anything to do. With you don't want to commit to anything for Nebraska, Oregon? Is that what we're predicting? Oh, would you rather predict some Mountain West games? <laughs> we could do that too. I mean, what is the best Mountain West game this weekend? Uh. I mean, I'm intrigued by San Jose State going on to Texas to see how that looks after Tom Herman's boys kind of took it on the chin from uh, Maryland mm-hmm. and their freshman quarterback. You, uh, well, who's no longer <clears throat> playing, right? That's true. That's uh, one of the sad developments of the weekend. Yeah. Along with the Florida State uh, quarterback Fran- as Francois. well. Francois. Francois. But uh, I guess we, we don't need to get into to national coverage on this podcast. We'll save that for, <laughs> for one of us... Uh, more national than the other. I'm excited to talk about UNLV and Howard later in the day. <laughs> um, so, you want to do predictions? We, we did about, predictions last week. How uh, about a couple, uh, is, just a couple things that Nebraska's got to do. How about that? We'll start there. Go. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the easy one. They absolutely can't let Royce Freeman take over the game. I mean, they, they have to keep him relatively bottled up because if he's breaking off big runs... Everything can be built off of that, from the play action to going vertical off of the play action to then you're pinching everything inside, trying to protect against those runs, which is what happened in Nebraska last year. And somebody named Dakota Prukup is able to run for, you know, 100-some yards in the only game I think he had positive yardage. So (laughs) that was a highlight for him. Oh, uh, and and Justin Hebert can run. I mean, he's not going to be afraid to to take off. So 
I, I think the focal point of the entire game is how Nebraska can defend Royce Freeman. Because I, I think that offensively, Nebraska's going to be fine. I think they're going to put up points. I think um, Oregon's defense is getting far too much credit against the Southern Utah team that didn't have close to the level of athletes. Um, and, and I think that Nebraska can move the ball on Oregon. They can score points. They can stay in that game that way. It's all going to be, is Royce Freeman going to take over? And if he takes over, especially early in that game, Nebraska's really going to struggle to win. They're going to need some dynamic plays to come from somewhere to pull it off. I think they, I mean, I think Nebraska has to stop the run on defense. And I think they also have to be able to run the ball with some consistency on offense, too, because you want to be able to control the clock a little bit. You don't want to, I, I, Nebraska ideally would not like that game to be a track meet. Um, I think that. You know, as they saw last year, I mean, Nebraska ran the ball fairly well. You've got three guys that you can, I, I think, feel pretty good about this year. I don't know that Oregon's front seven is particularly intimidating. I mean, I, I think it's really a game offensively for Nebraska's offensive line to kind of take it as a challenge and, and really set the tone early. And I, I think if they can do that, I don't see how – I mean, that that's why the 14-point spread to me is crazy because if Nebraska can run the ball at all in this game, I don't I don't think it's going to go uh, – I, I just see a close game. I mean, that's – I just think it's running on both sides of the ball for Nebraska. Yeah, the way I see Nebraska winning this is it's that typical, like, idea when you think of Big Ten versus Pac-12 football, actually. And if Nebraska plays the game on its terms and – makes this a game of decided by the trenches and not necessarily on by perimeter guys, um, I think Nebraska's got a good chance. Well, they have you know? a big advantage in the trenches. Yeah, I think so. And that, that that's the type of game they've got to make it. They've got to make it a game where you feel like, you know, you can run it for four or five on first down and Danny Langsdorf's working on a second and five play call instead of second and eight. And, you know, with a quarterback like Tanner Lee – that looks really good, you know. You you feel like you can you really have them kind of spinning on the other side of the field. So that's going to be big. Obviously, this is captain obvious, but it's turnovers, you know. I mean, this is the type of game where I feel like Nebraska maybe needs to go plus one, plus two type of deal where you make that big play. Somebody um, turns the game with a with a pick or something that you know is a ten point swing type of thing. And then the red zone defense. They they are actually not bad week one, and that's been a specialty of Diak over the years. That's the way they play, obviously, where he's like, okay, you can move it on us, but we're going to get tough the closer you get to that goal line. And I don't know, maybe Oregon – I don't know. Does Oregon have a kicker now? They've never had a kicker in like 15 years. (laughs) I I Um, believe they have a kicker. Um, (laughs) His name is not known. Usually it's a guy that's like pulled from the stands, though, that – you know, can't hit a 32-yarder. Um, or am I thinking of another program? It feels like Oregon struggled with the kicking game over the years. But, uh, you know, if you, if you make this a deal where uh, he's looking up Oregon Ducks kicker right now. <laughs> Just confirming that there is, in fact, a kicker. <laughs> they do have a kicker. Would it be a pretty big troll job of Willie Taggart to go for two <laughs> for the very first points that Oregon puts on the board? Yeah, I don't know how that'd be received out there after last year. <laughs> But this is, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited for this game because I think, I think a lot of people here are kind of ducking for cover a little bit a right little, now. A little nervous. Yeah, and I understand it. 
and that's possible. That could happen. I wouldn't be stunned if if it did. But I also wouldn't be stunned if Nebraska walked in there and was driving for a winning score with three minutes left. You Would know? you be stunned if Nebraska won the game by double digits? I'd be surprised. I think it's going to be real close if Nebraska wins. Here's your update here. Uh, Oregon's place kicker, uh, Zach Emerson, a redshirt freshman economics major from Bend. Bend is a lovely town if you've mm-hmm. ever been there. I've um, never been there. So he has no numbers to his name. He does not. Um, they didn't kick at all last week? He... 11 touchdowns, I think. He lettered four years in football in high school. Um Good, good stats in high school. As a senior, he was four <laughs> of six on field goals with a long of 47 yards. So, okay. Well. There you go. I was waiting for you to blow up my theory and say, like, they had a guy who was, <laughs> won the Lou Groza Award or something <laughs> last year. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was pretty good. <laughs> I forgot about him. A guy wins the Groza Award and they don't kick extra points and link it yeah. at all. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've sort of exhausted the – the Oregon talk for the moment. Uh, just a real quick recruiting update. Nebraska had several visitors in town this past weekend. They hosted Sherry Crosswell and I think it's Isa or I thought it was Isaiah and heard both. Uh, we'll just go with Isa Crocker as well, a wide receiver from Northern California. Both visits went really, really well. Both entertaining the idea of coming to Nebraska. Both want to decide after their senior seasons. Both plan to take official visits to other places going forward. Crocker looking to go to Oregon, Oregon State for sure for his visits. Crosswell I think is looking at Washington and Colorado for his official visits. Both like USC. Both may not actually end up visiting USC. So it's it's kind of a, a scenario where they're they're similar in, in regards. I think Nebraska has probably the better opportunity to get Crocker than they do Crosswell. Uh, but that's not to say that they don't have an opportunity with Crosswell. So overall, good you know visit stuff there for Nebraska. Joshua Moore, Cameron Brown, Masri Maypew, Cameron Juergens, and Will Farniak were five committed guys in the, the 2018 class that visited for the first game. Uh, really good to have Joshua Moore on the, the sidelines. I mean... He's essentially wearing the co-recruiting coordinator cap that uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles has the other one. Those guys are pretty heavily involved with a lot of the targets in this class. And and one of the reasons Crocker wanted to come out this weekend is that he knew Moore was going to be there. That way they could spend some time together. He also knows Lamar Jackson pretty well from uh, Lamar being a Northern California guy also in the Sacramento area. So they go back a little bit. He had a good time with him. Uh, overall, I, I think that Nebraska did well in that regard. They've got some other visits being set up. You can read about those on Nebraska.247sports.com throughout the week here. It looks like Northern Illinois, the next home game. An 11 a.m. kick. There's a lot of schools that don't play that week. So Nebraska is actually going to have a busier, uh, busier visit weekend than you would have guessed for an 11 a.m. kick in September. Uh, there's going to be some intriguing guys that should be out there, and we'll again have more of that on the site. Otherwise, uh, not a whole lot else uh, with recruiting. There was a, a 2019 tight end from Stone Mountain, Georgia, Ryland um, Goody? Uh, you go Goody. Go- Goody. 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 It looks like Geodude, which is a Pokemon. 
Um, so that's kind of how I've been referring to him, at least in correspondence with Brunt. So I don't think he's ever picked up the joke. I did. I was really confused by what that meant, and I just didn't pursue it further. Yeah. So you, you never. I mean, you're you're both older than I am, so you you missed out on the the whole Pokemon thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was only in on the Game Boy game, which is tremendous. One of the greatest video games of our time. Yeah, I uh, totally missed. That, that's lost on me. If you want to talk about Fresh Prince or Saved by the Bell, Burns yeah. and I can I mean, I was hit you all day. Certainly involved. Some late 90s rap, we can talk about that. <laughs> that I don't have any frame of reference for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm out on mm-hmm. a 90s rap. I got nothing. But uh, I could explain to you who Geodude is if you'd like, but I don't think that makes for a great podcast listening at this point. Anything we, we else we need to get in? Do you want to talk a little off-season baseball? Is there anything that you took away from media availability? This week, uh, should we set the clock at one minute? Do a quick baseball minute. No, you can you can have more than a minute. You can have as many minutes as you want. People can turn this podcast off as they see it fit. Basically, Nebraska started fall practice yesterday at Haymarket Park. Um, probably the biggest news to come out of that uh, is just injuries. Uh, Nebraska had a number of guys at the end of last season get hurt uh, out for the year, kind of stuff. A uh, number of those guys are working their way back. Uh, another piece of news that came out, uh, Matt Warren, uh, formerly of Creighton, um, who tra- was a graduate transfer, came to Nebraska last year, had Tommy John surgery. He's been cleared, so uh, he's got a, he's in his sixth year of eligibility. Uh, in the past, has won 10 games in a season at Creighton. is kind of an intriguing option uh, for potentially replacing uh, Derek Burkamp or Jake Myers in Nebraska starting rotation. You also have Luis Alvarado, who is going to be focusing a lot more on pitching once to start. Uh, probably isn't going to hit all that much this season. Um, that that's those, those were kind of the big storylines of, of fall camp. But uh, you know, I, I think Nebraska's got another shot to be an NCAA tournament team again, um, depending on how some of the young guys kind of come along. But uh, a number of pieces back. Uh, for the fall for Nebraska. Uh, one other, I guess, if we want to continue on the uh, down the road that we usually don't go on, basketball-wise, last weekend they had uh, two official visitors in town. One, uh, Brady Hyman, the, the commit uh, from Platteview. Uh, the other, Tyrese Halliburton, a uh, six-foot-four point guard from Wisconsin who's considering uh, Nebraska, Iowa State, Cincinnati, and Northern Iowa right now. Um, talked to him yesterday. Kind of an interesting kid. Uh, Nebraska offered him in July and really has been recruiting him pretty hard, talking to him every day. Uh, He still has visits set up to those other three schools that I mentioned. Nebraska was his first official visit, but a guy that can kind of come in, play a year behind Glenn Watson, and then take over the point. And if you've got a a six foot four point guard who can shoot in the Big Ten, uh, that's a pretty intriguing guy. So uh, that's definitely one to watch. I, I think, you know, Nebraska. Iowa State are probably a little bit ahead for him right now, um, but you know he really enjoyed his uh, official visit over the weekend, hang, hanging out with Isaiah Roby, uh, DBOKK, and some of those guys. So uh, that'll be on the site today as well. Nice. He worked in uh, a couple couple different sports during football season. Very nice. Uh, good information there. All right, let's finish up with this. Very last thing. Um, Give me a player that you think has to be key for Nebraska if they're going to pull this off on Saturday at Eugene. 
And then also tell me what beer you're looking forward <clears throat> to trying when you're out in Portland. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a. You got somebody in mind? Think of a good you, answer. Yeah, you go have, ahead. You have somebody in mind. Yeah, you ask the question. Go. Go. No, you don't. Well, I mean, or a, or a beer. Stalling for the you. obvious ones are just about any of the main offensive players. Like it's hard to imagine a game in which Nebraska wins and Tanner Lee doesn't play well. So I'm going to throw that one out. But uh, sticking on the offensive side of the ball, I think this is uh, an opportunity for you know just an example of two guys, J.D. Spielman, Tyjon Lindsey. They both have game-breaking ability. We saw that with J.D. Spielman on his kick return. I think these two guys could really help Nebraska against Oregon. I mean, you get them the ball in the space, you let them work against a defense that can get out of position at times. It's still young, still learning its own defensive system. I, I think one thing that hasn't been mentioned by any of us and really hasn't been mentioned at all as we've talked about this game, Oregon's first real contest against the first real FBS offense is Saturday. I mean, and they, they have their own new defensive coordinator, and they switched defensive fronts and defensive systems a little bit. And there's going to be, you know, some chaos there for them. There was for Nebraska. And so I think that Nebraska has a couple playmakers and Spielman and Lindsey that might be able to take advantage of that. And it doesn't even mean going deep in the way that Stanley Morgan did or, or any of that. It, I think there's guys that they can get into space and kind of use Oregon's fresh new defensive look against them a little bit. Okay, I'm going to combine two people into one. Super player, huh? Yeah, a super player on the right side of the offensive line. Farmer and Neville slash whoever is right tackle, which we, should, Matt we should bring up. Farniak is the guy who would get those reps. Uh, Neville was in a boot on... Tuesday, they were still confident that he was going to play. That's Cavs what they're saying. Neville's going to play if and, that's worth anything. And sometimes a guy being in a walking boot doesn't mean a whole lot. That's just precautionary stuff, so you never quite know. But I think if I think there's confidence in the left side. I think Conrad played pretty well in the opener. I think Farmer was maybe up and down. And this is a game where if that right side comes to play, you you kind of say, okay, the left side is going to do their thing. And if, if that's working, Nebraska's going to run the ball with success. They'll play the game on their terms, and they have a good chance to win. So I'll say those guys just going out there and, and being dominant guys could, could really change the game in Nebraska's way. I was going to also make a super player, but um, <laughs> and I was also going to talk about the offensive line, but I will pivot to defense. Um I'm going to say the, the middle linebackers are going to have to have a big game here. I like that I said one player and then I immediately chose two. BC went with two and a half, three. Yeah. Or, I mean, depending. To, with, well, yeah. yeah. Whoever's right tackle. And then you also went with two. So yeah. we're, we're very good at following rules. I, I, I'm also going to, I, I think it's more than two because it, it's Weber Young. I think Mo Berry is going to play a lot in, in this game. You know, I, throw Stoltenberg in there as a yeah. central point that they work off of. And, uh, you just you know, want to say run defense? Lightborn, too. I mean, why not? <laughs> um, just the entire, the entire team needs to play well to win this game. Um, I, but I, I think the middle linebackers, just because of the, the – if Nebraska can limit Oregon's running game, I think that that definitely is going to go a long way to, to helping them win that game. Um you know, I think Young and Weber 
played fairly well. Uh, I think there were some some blown assignments uh, from that group, and I, I just think that it, they're going to need to kind of set the tone for the defense and, and you know really try to limit Royce Freeman in any way that they can. So I'm going to go with the uh, the the Mike linebacker group trio into one. All right. Well, nobody wants to make predictions. I'll give you one anyways. I like Nebraska to win this game. Despite the line. By 14? <laughs> I love the win by 14. They don't have to win by 14. Tease that lineup. Uh, I I think that uh, a lot's being made about Oregon, who's really playing their first real game this season. Uh, and, and I think Nebraska has a personnel that can, can win this. And if Oregon... Wins it or runs away with it, I think it's because of Royce Freeman. Simple as that. Schaefer, not buying the hype. My midweek pick is Oregon 42, Nebraska 34. And I I think this is one of those games where everybody, we, we want to analyze it, but you're still it's still kind of a mystery both teams are. And, right, and the game could, could yeah. mean nothing. I mean, yeah. it really could be two teams that... <laughs> Why are we even going? 48 minutes into the podcast, this game might not mean anything. <laughs> I mean, in terms of a long-term Everything picture you've heard, You guys are just here for the matter. jokes. But even if they lose this game, and we've talked about it, Nebraska's set up well for, for the Big Ten in terms of yeah. what they're going to see offensively. I mean, I know no one wants to hear that phrase that everything, their goals are still out there. Yeah, That's the, the, the standard Nebraska loses a non-conference game. Well, our goals are still out there for us. You're basically saying we're just going out there to hurt our lungs, like and, yeah. and take a year or two off our lives. Yeah. And beer. You're gonna drink some beer. Yeah. You never answered the question. What beer, what beer do you want to drink when you're out there? Um. Well, you got going on this crux thing. Is yeah. that like available? It's, it's. Is it only available at the brewery? Uh, no, you can get it in Portland. I, that that was gonna be my answer. Is the, well, the crux uh, fermentation projects. You're going with that one too? Well, I don't know specific beers. I just I haven't okay. tried it ever. BC, I, I'm out of my element. Out of my element, Danny. Brunt is Brunt's in charge of the uh, of the the beer stop. So have you you made a good list for us. Uh, I've got one. I would take any suggestions from podcast listeners as well if they know places to go beyond Deschutes, which is pretty obvious. Um, if there's any hidden gems, um, pass those along. All right. Sounds good. Well, as always, be sure to check out the website at nebraska.247sports.com. There should be plenty of coverage leading up to the game, after the game, for the next game. Podcast will be back with you next Wednesday.